Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, we speak with Bruins Sports Capital founder George Pine. That's in a few minutes. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi Williams. And let's start with Cristiano Ronaldo and Fiat and people in Italy aren't happy. Yeah, we, we talked last week about Ronaldo joining Juventus, a $130 million deal all told. That includes the uh, transfer fee and the salary. The company that owns the uh, owns Juventus, the Agnelli family, also owns Fiat. Uh, workers are not happy that the uh, that the owners of their company, instead of investing that $130 million into cars, are instead investing that into uh, one particular Portuguese soccer player. Scott, is this fair? Is is it fair for owners of, of one part of uh, or employees of one part of this owner's business to be upset about the way he's conducting? Fair. Business if you're a sports team owner, you're going to get it from all sides. I mean, you go public. This is we all know what sports team ownership does. You're out there in the public domain. If you're going to own another entity, yeah, of course it's fair. The question is, in my mind. Is there an argument to be made to the fiat workers that the rising tide will lift all the boats? That if things are going well or better at the club, perhaps the Agnelli family will reinvest more in the company? Do you part and parcel like one operates on its own, or is there some sort of interdependence? And yeah, it's the family. The, the wealth and the health of the family of, of the finances certainly will impact how they conduct the business. Worth noting that Jeep, which is a Fiat brand, is the jersey sponsor of Juventus. Uh, our friends over at Apex Marketing Group sent us numbers this week about the, the financial boon that Ju- Juventus getting far in the Champions League with Ronaldo uh, might mean. There is certainly an, an exposure value here for Fiat through Jeep. Uh, by virtue of being on the jersey that is now, I would imagine, one of the hottest selling soccer Bar, jerseys. Would you in, buy? We're getting ready world. for the limited edition Ronaldo Renegade. Yep. It will <laughs> come with no top. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway. Thank you. <laughs> and no doors to show up. No doors. Yeah, leg hangs out the side. Oh. Thank you very much. <laughs> by the way, the, the plant, and this is one of the reasons why people are upset, the plant is located in one of the poorest regions in Italy. Mm-hmm. So. And they're planning a strike for next week. Right. So, here we happy, go. Happy. Welcome, Ronaldo. Yeah. <laughs> Next topic, Papa John's. And MLB is suspending the Papa Slam promotion because of what John Schnatner said. It's the Grand Slam promotion? I mean, at this point, is Schnatner not getting into the Grand Slam a stupid? The, the Papa had a rough this, week. It's been a rough year yeah. for Papa in general, but... Man, I mean, so the the backstory here on a conference call with a marketing agency, uh, he used a racial slur. Uh, it offended enough people on the call that you know the the marketing agency suspended its relationship. You, but with you, but him. you could hear. But he was saying the context of the call should matter. But now he realizes that the context of the call to people does not matter. Sure. No. So, and, and by the way, no. also worth saying in the irony world. This was a call to help him plan his rehabilitation in the public. Supposed to be a role-playing. Yeah, it's a role-playing exercise so he can rehabilitate from the first mistake. Yeah, uh, shares of Papa John down. Papa John out as chairman of the board of the company. He had already stepped down as CEO earlier this year. Uh, he's out at the University of Louisville Board of Trustees. He was out at their athletic board but, a couple but, of months ago but, but as let's well. Talk, this is interesting. Again, this is sports business we're focusing on. The deal to name the football stadium is a weird one at yeah. Louisville is not with the company. It's with him. Yeah. It's the guy. Like if he wants to name the stadium me, 
me stadium? That That's an interesting, weird dynamic that they now have to navigate. You can bet that if he wants to exercise that part of the clause, the contract, which does say that, that if he leaves the company, he can change the name as well. Um, there will be lawyers associated with that left and right. Um, but yeah, this sure. is... Papa is a, a, a not just at Louisville, but across the the, the country. He had a they had a big NFL deal that dissolved uh, in public fashion earlier this year. Uh, There's a big sports sponsor, not just putting their name on stadiums, but also you know partnering with teams and leagues. Yeah, interesting to um, see what the MLB teams do because their deals are not affected by absolutely the, 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 yeah. the league's decision to, to cut. Ties. I don't think we've heard the end of the of the fallout of of, of Papa John. Not yeah. at all. And now on to a happier topic. Okay. PGA. $1 million challenge, PGA Tour and LPGA Tour rollout. Yeah, again, they're looking to be creative. There will be certain holes throughout the year. I wanted a tournament, and here, next tournament, one hole at each place where whoever shoots the best or the lowest score throughout the year on these predetermined holes gets a million-dollar bonus. I'm all for it. Why not? Why, if, if it's something else you can do to generate interest in the sport— why not? But I think what's even more important that struck me is that now it's a level playing field for both the men and women. You mean which, from a money perspective? Yes, yeah. which is the way it should be. Yeah, and the, the fact that they are offering equal prize money also noteworthy. But for me, it's just somebody's thinking. I mean, they had a, they had a a version of this prior, but uh, the Kodak challenge. So the the fact that they're just thinking and doing and trying. Why not? Because we've talked about the demo of golf. You, you got to get some new life there. I, I see the the why not question, but I I don't see this moving the needle. Golf has obviously has demographic problems. It has problems attracting new new viewers and and new players. I don't see. Uh, you said before. I've never heard of the Kodak Challenge. Right. Didn't know it existed. I don't. I don't see this being being a thing that moves the needle. Right. We'll see. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi Williams. You can follow him on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. Change that. Now let's get into this week's interview with Bruins Sports Capital founder George Pine. Pine is a former executive at NASCAR and IMG, where he served as president of the Sports and Entertainment Division. He served as NASCAR's chief operating officer, becoming only the second non-member of the France family to serve on its board. He founded Bruin to acquire, build, and invest in media, sports, marketing, and branded lifestyle companies. George, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And if I can get personal, because not a lot of people can talk about this, but your son, Drew, is headed to Notre Dame to play quarterback. That is one of the highest pressure positions wow. in all of college sports. He had offers from, and I'm going to list them, Alabama, Florida State, Penn State, South Carolina. I mean, this is big-time real football. What is that process like for you? Because you're in the industry, you know the underbelly of sports business. You know the NCAA, everything that's going on. What was that process like for you? Well, you know, first and foremost, you know, I'm a dad, and uh, so it's you know, you are a little emotional. But I think probably being from the sports business, I have a a good understanding of kind of uh, keeping your feet on the ground and really what the what the future entails here. So I'd say probably it's been helpful in grounding my son. It's hard for these young kids when everyone tells you how wonderful you are. To, uh, to to maybe stay on the ground, right? I always say, like, look, you have 50-year-old CEOs who have a hard time uh, staying grounded. When a kid is 
told routinely how talented they are, it's hard. It can be hard to stay grounded. And I do think uh, having the experience of being in the sports business has been helpful from that standpoint. And, and I think I've told you this before, but you know, my dad played in the NFL, my granddad played in the NFL, my brother played in the NFL, my father-in-law is in the PGA Hall of Fame. So we're pretty. Uh, we take a pretty pragmatic view to to all of it. But um, and I'm proud of my son. He got offered in eighth grade. Um, and so he is that insane, George? That he got offered in eighth grade is that insane? Well, it is what it is, and, and he was not the only guy. But but what it does bring is a lot of challenges. Um, and so when he plays, and in, in you know, he's played two years in high school as a freshman and a sophomore, and um, you know, there's no secret. So wherever he goes, everybody knows who he is, and uh, it creates a lot of challenges. And I'm very proud of uh, the way he's handled himself. Um, and, 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 and performed under really a real microscope. And I think, you know, while it pre- presents challenges, I think those challenges when it goes to Notre Dame will be the same. And so I think what Notre Dame's going to get from my son Drew is somebody that for four years has lived under a microscope of a lot of intensity. And, you know, we play in a town in New Canaan, Connecticut, that's won nine state championships in 13 years. He started as a freshman, they won the state championship. And there was a lot. He's the only freshman ever to start at New Canaan High School. So there's a lot of. Uh, there's been a lot of intensity. You know, we he had a game his freshman year. They sold all the tickets to the game in 37 minutes. Um, so they, uh, you know, he's. It's been a good experience for him, but it's not easy. Uh, and I always say, no matter what it is, business, sports, life, you know, success creates other challenges. And I'm very proud of him. And if you read anything about him, people talk about how humble he is. He's a humble kid who, um, you know, who, who's, who's tried to do his best. So we're proud of him. It's been a unique experience. And we have two more years left at New Canaan, so uh, hopefully we'll have two more good years and then uh, off to South Bend. Unbelievable. Now, I don't want to harp yeah. too much on it, but at the dinner table conversation, is there the Ed O'Bannon talk? I mean, you were at IMG, and part of IMG was IMG College. Does he understand, and I'm sure he does, the big business that is college football? No, you know what? We, he's, he's more focused. He's not really focused on that. Um, I think he's really more focused on trying to get better, and we focus on that. You know, he's going to have to compete. And you know, Notre Dame is uh, on national TV every week. They have. Uh, yeah, thank you, sold, NBC. They've sold out every game <laughs> since 1974, and so he knows that he's going into going to be in a place that has a big, big spotlight. But as you mentioned, he was probably going to one of those places anyway. And and I think the part of Notre Dame is obviously the education and the opportunities after college that I think were pretty attractive to him. Well, prayers and support that after Notre Dame that he goes to the next level and takes it to the NFL. So I always have my fingers crossed and support for him. Good yeah, well, thank you very much. And Scott mentioned that you were with IMG. And before that, which you were connected to something near and dear to my heart, you were with NASCAR. In fact, you were the second non-family member in the company's history to join its board of directors. Can, can you take us through that about the NASCAR experience in your life? Oh, it was a great experience. You know, when I went to NASCAR in 1995, a lot of people don't remember. It was really called Winston Cup Racing. Yeah, oh, I, trust me. I, we <laughs> have, uh, George, wait, George, I, I don't know if you listen to the podcast all the time, but we have some fun here. Michael Barr is the diehard NASCAR guy. And I'm sort of your stereotype uh, New Yorker. I, I don't know too much about it. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I mean, I, I loved NASCAR. I, I loved the people. It was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. You know, 1995, the, we had 16 races on the Nashville Network. 
we had one offense, and it was called Winston Cup Racing. And we're primarily automotive aftermarket sponsors. And, uh, you know, we had a great 10-year run when we left. It was on NBC and Fox, and we had Nextel as a sponsor. Um, we were moved out of the southeast to become more national. But I think the thing I take away from NASCAR was just those, those drivers are, are nice guys. And the people as a whole are just really nice people. And I have to tell you that when I, I wasn't a necessarily a car expert, so uh, but when I left uh, NASCAR, I cried. I mean, I, I was 40 years old. I felt like I had to go do something else. But I loved the sport. I loved the people, and they were great guys. I mean, Dale Earnhardt Sr. I, I was there when Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt Sr. were really going at it, and uh, Sr. was a really uh, interesting guy, but a great guy and a fun guy to be around. And you know. He was the eighth grade educated and did really well financially. He was a really astute businessman, and uh, it was fun. It was just a lot of fun, and, and the people there are as good as they uh, appear. We're talking with George Pine, the global business executive and founder of Bruin Sports Capital. I'm about to give away that I'm about a mile away from the Pocono Raceway where I live, and and I I have to tell you is that I remember. Those races when you Dale Earnhardt Sr. and and Jeremy Mayfield and and Mayfield moves Earnhardt out of the way yeah. out of turn three and the crowd is going wild and all of this it, it that was an exciting time in fact I, I guess if you were to call it maybe it was the heyday but unfortunately NASCAR has has fallen back a bit what what do you see as some of the reasons why maybe the viewership has declined. Well, I think that when you look back on it, I think that the, the fan base during the last economic downfall, you know, probably got hard, hit harder than most, and so I think that's had an impact on this on, on NASCAR. I think the um, you know, the car tomorrow, when you look back on it, probably didn't help. And I also think, you know, just as we look into the sports business as a whole, um, I think you have to wonder: did they really focus enough on the core fan? And so, that to me, you know, especially with the change in media consumption, the core fan is really you know, what pays the light bills for every sport. And so, you know, the question is, you know, did they balance enough the needs of the core fan versus the growth uh, needs? And when somebody, you know, stops watching something four hours on Sundays, you know, when you get four hours back on a Sunday, you probably don't miss whatever it is you're doing for those four hours or you know, when you think about some of the hotel, back in the day, the hotel night minimums or the having to buy, you know, five races to really get one. And then, when you know, the economy comes in and you don't go anymore and you get four or five weekends back. Um, you know, I think that I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, I went to the race last year at the Brickyard 400, and, you know, they we used to count the seats there. Uh, that's how we charged the racetracks, there, the sanction fee, and they were... There were 200,000, 260,000 seats, and last year I think they had 50,000 people attend the race. Right. That was the announced attendance. Probably the real attendance was was less. That's and, some bad optics right there. Yeah, and so when you have that kind of change, something at the core is, is missing. And so I think that, I, I know, obviously I'm not there, but to me there's been some type of disconnect with the core fan. And I think that's a, a large part of the challenge. We are chatting with George Pine, founder of Bruin Sports Capital. And George, it looks like the France family is out there looking for a 
at least an investor looking to uh, shed a minority stake in NASCAR, you can get money from anywhere. Is this important in that they can bring on a strategic partner that can help them where they need it most? Yes, I think, you know, I think when you, you know, it's been rumored about Comcast, I think Comcast would be an excellent strategic partner. I think, one, obviously, they own a, a they own a network, they own a cable network, they own regional sports networks, they own uh, theme parks. So I think they would be a, a terrific strategic partner and probably exactly what the sport needs at this at this juncture. So I think that is one way to accelerate growth. Uh, for the sport, and obviously for someone like Comcast, they'll own content, and so I think that that would be something like that would really be make a lot of sense. Well, you're making it too easy for me, George. If you just mentioned the words Comcast and RSNs, we have a Titanic shifting here in the media world in consolidation. So if I say Comcast and Disney and Fox and RSNs, you say what? Well, it, it, it's it's very it's a, you are right. It's a very interesting time because obviously now if Disney buys uh, buys Fox, they're going to have to let go of those 22 regional sports networks, which today are huge cash flow generators of cash, uh, and in many cases generate generators of cash for for teams. Those regional sports networks also you know contribute to the valuation of a lot of these teams. And they would appear also to be the first break in the armor in the change in terms of media consumption and the disruption of the cable model you would think would first appear in the regional sports networks. And the last part I'd say is a lot of the regional sports networks have long-term deals, so while the distribution model might change, they have long-term rights. So. That so that that it's an interesting asset. So really, you have assets out there generates a lot of cash. Most of them have long-term rights. The mo- the economic model is going to change. Who's going to buy it? Oh, that was what? the next question because that's what I'm getting from. I mean, I have people at Fox calling me saying, "What are you hearing? What are you hearing? Who's buying so many rumors? Do you see private equity involved? Do you see media companies?" Who do you see as the likely buyer for those RSNs? Well, it's interesting. I think it could be all of the above. I think you could see Comcast maybe buy yep. them if uh, if Disney has to sell them. I think you could see private equity buy them. I think you could see uh, maybe some of the teams take back the rights or some of the teams buy them back by private equity. I mean, I think any and all you know, are, are possible because they do throw off a lot of cash right now. And so... You know, there's there's a there's an absolute value there, and then there's a strategic value because those are very valuable rights in the local market, and they are a very valuable way to connect consumers directly to a passion point that they they like. So, I think probably that in America right now, that's probably one of the most fascinating items in front of us. What happens to those regional sports networks? We're talking with George Pine, the global business executive and founder of Bruin Sports Capital, which brings me to my next question. Tell us about Bruin Sports Capital. What what do you do in this? Well, we invest in in, in global in the global sports economy. We operate today in uh, five continents, eleven countries, and we work with almost every major federation in the world uh, in various capacities. And we've made investments really in live events. Uh, sports media and technology, and then uh, fan, what I call fan engagement or marketing companies that en- engage sports fans. And our portfolio of companies, I think we have 40 or 
45 offices around the world. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're at the intersection between sports fans and, and the people that bring that content to the fans. What's better, live or on TV, George? Well, I think both. I mean, so, you know, we, we own a company called Delta Trade that works with UEFA. And for the European Football Championships, uh, we have 46 cameras on the pitch. And the user can pick the camera angle, can pull up their own stats, pick their own graphics package. So I think that's one heck of a, a viewing experience. And, you know, it's hard to beat a great live event. So I think I think both experiences are terrific. And I think in a world where media is going to become more and more fragmented, uh, events that can get somebody to get out of the seat of their car and in their, out of their house and go somewhere and engage something, I think events in the future are going to have a high value. So I think, again, we're investing in the change in media. So we do all, we're, we're in all parts of the value change. We work on it. We provide the technology for every screen. That's one company. And another company is live events because I think live events become more valuable going forward. So we've invested in, we believe media is changing and we're trying to be at the intersection of that change and realize and create value uh, in the change. Is the premium experience where the live experience is headed? I, that's where I'm hearing a lot of owners and team executives tell me they think that they can make the most money and bring the most people out and get the best ROI with a premium product, whether that's club suites, whatever it might be, but the premium experience, not Section 400. Yeah, I think I think probably the days there'll always be a Section 400, but I think that in order to better engage, create better experience, and to increase more value and profit, it really is going to be in the premium experience. So, and that could be bigger seats, better concessions, but also better interaction. And of course, you know, uh, with the gambling coming on as well, uh, you're going to have you know you're going to be able. Is it a ball? Is it a strike? Is it going to make the putt? No, not make the putt. Uh, what pass is it? Are they going to run? Or are they going to pass? Uh, these things are going to even in further engage that experience in the venue and at home. But again, I do think that just saying, hey, your, your seats are in Section 400, there's probably less of that and more of creating great experiences with your friends around a passion point. I don't see how anybody can beat that when you can bring up your own graphics to any sport that you want. And like you said, especially with sports betting, whatever I want to bring up, I, I can do that. And And just like Scott said, Section 400 is going by the wayside. So what what happens there? I mean, it, it's is that for the fan who really can't afford to go to some of these events, uh, are they in big trouble? Well, I don't know that they're in big trouble. I mean, you know, if, if you watch a Western, you know, you might want to go ride a horse if you can. So to me, I think if I'm viewing something I'm passionate behind it, I want to go to the live event. But with the technology at home being what it is, to Scott's point, I think that live event experience is going to have to be a lot more, and it's going to have to be a lot more special to continue to have that interest. And I think you're going to also, even for the fan in Section 400, you're going to have to provide him things or her things that hadn't been provided before. You know, training camp, personalized content. And the one thing, you know, we're, we're broadcasting the games. Uh, we have a business game with the NFL called Game Pass, and we are selling subscriptions uh, one person at a time. And I've been pretty involved in that myself. And what you're seeing there is, you know, today you're selling uh, 
the right the right to watch these game, NFL games in Europe, one consumer at a time. And so we know when we're talking to a consumer at what price point they'll transact. Uh, we change the advertising on the hour. And so it's a very customized sale. And I think that's the future, whether that's season tickets or any communication with someone that's got a passion point around a sport, that's the future. So even the guy in Section 400, you know, 10 years from now, a, a team's going to have a dialogue with that guy almost on a daily basis, communicating with him, knowing what that person likes. And that's why I think going forward, the data management and understanding data and understanding the psychographics and demographics of your fan base is going to become more important to create a better experience and relationship for the guy in you know Section 400 and for the guy that can afford the the incredible experience. You're going to have to have a relationship with both of those guys to be to maximize the value. I will never forget, you talk about the technology involved when something is televised live and people are watching it at home and you have so much technology involved. And I remember back the 1979 Daytona 500, and this was Oh, my Lord, live. Bar. Oh, my Lord. No, but, but this was... <laughs> oh, my, but oh this, my Lord, Bar. I know, I know, but this was big. <laughs> when they put the camera live in Benny Parsons' car, and you can it. see Benny Parsons... It. In the car, driving. Did you say Benny Daytona. Hill? No, Benny Parsons. Oh, Benny Parsons. Man. Okay. I, I'm, George, I'm help. George, help away. me. Uh, Bar Bar's gone off on a NASCAR tangent. Help I, me, George. I, I know. I can't help it. But my point is, that's what has to continue to happen in all forms of sport. It, it, help me out, because you know what and I'm talking so about. Well, Seventy nine. Take racing as an example. You know, now just think about the experience through technology at home. You're going to be able to know. You know, the RPMs, you could really know the tire pressure. You could know all the different elements of the How car. about heart rate? How about heart rate? If athletes yeah. are going to start wearing monitors, I'll know how are they going to do. Yeah, so you're going to be able to know so much. On, and in the case of NASCAR, 43 cars. But that translates to Formula One and others. You're going to know, have more information, more data. I mean, I have this thing, too, with some of these smaller sports. Um, America's Cup, as an example. You know, they came in, I always remember this, three or four years ago, when I, uh, they came in, we met with them. And, you know, to me, sailing kind of was this thing, kind of a sailboat, and maybe not so interesting. You know, now they reinvented their product. It's really cool racing. But think about what digital technology does to that sports. The, co- the tides, the currents, the winds, um, and, and bringing that to life digitally, that makes that a lot more interesting experience. So technology is going to also liberate a lot of the smaller sports because it's going to be make it more interesting. And with the direct-to-consumer applications, you know, if you you can aggregate 100 or 200,000 people on a subscription basis, you know, you're in business where before that sport had to do a time buy, got put at the wrong time, really didn't meet the, their consumers' needs. You know, today, uh, if I'm, say, the World Surf League, you know, you Get a hundred, two hundred thousand people, and you're interacting with those people, you know, every day through digital. It creates new opportunities for those sports. So, big, big value to the endemic sponsors as well. Yes, and so I just think it, the techn- technology is a, is a game changer, and we're we're in the early the early innings. And then in America, when you you throw in the the, the gambling element, you're 19 times more likely to watch an event you're you're gambling on than not. 
And so, you know, that's certainly going to help in terms of viewership. It's certainly going to help in terms of sponsorship, meaning, you know, those are going to be, again, those are your core fans. And all of this will come back to big data, the ability to understand data and use data to engage consumers around your product. That's the future for everybody. And sports will have an advantage because fans of a particular sport are passionate about it, and they're going to engage more in a world that's going to be harder and harder to engage people. I mean, I've I've got four kids at home from uh, 14 to 21. It's hard to engage them. And so if you get something that can engage kids or people, it's going to be of high value. So that, uh, that to me, is the future. So we, we need like 10 more hours, George, which we don't have. But if, if Sports Radar, Sport Radar goes for a $2.4 billion valuation, and the media companies will get the engagement. Is Mark Cuban right that the valuations of the teams will double because of this added engagement, added sponsorship value, or is that hyperbolic in your opinion? Well, I, look, it will double over some period of time. I mean, I think what he, I would agree that, are you a believer in sports? Is sports going to still remain valuable over the next 10 or 20 years? I think the answer to that question is yes, because it's going to be engaged large number of consumers. So, and if you're particularly if you're in the NBA, um, you know I think I think if you really feel pretty good about about your prospects. But I think every sport I think is going to remain valuable. Could there be some changes in the way, you know, when the cable bundle, um, you know, is disrupted eventually? And can over a period of time could there be some short-term turbulence? Possibly, although. We haven't really seen any evidence of it. Uh, but long-term, I think sports remains highly valuable. Then how? what is the competitive landscape of things that you're looking at for Bruin? I mean, you're obviously not the only one looking to put capital at work in this area. Well, I think we, we've, we've, we've invested, like I said, in, in Delta Tray, which it work, provides the technology for all screens. You know, in courtside, we've made 38 investments in 25 companies that are all uh, digital or technology companies in sports. So we're... We're inve- for us. We, I, we're investing in the in the change. We believe media consumption is changing, and it's going to create real opportunities for investors. And that's where that's that's how our investments reflect that thesis, along with the investment in live events that become more valuable, given um, things that can aggregate big audiences are more valuable. So I, uh, we're investing in the change, and I think investing in the change is. Is, is exciting. All right, George Pine, founder of Bruin Sports Capital. Thank you very much, George, for the insights. My pleasure, guys. Take care. Takeaways from the show. Well, you know where I'm going with this. NASCAR. NASCAR. <laughs> Heck yeah. <laughs> and I don't care if I'm made fun of because I brought up the 1979 Daytona 500. The technology Benny, that you had. Benny Parsons. Benny Parsons. Benny Parsons. Benny okay. Parsons. And they had the, the big old camera. Yeah. Nothing like the little pin size cameras they have now. Yeah. The big old camera they had in the car and it was inside the, the cockpit and the windshield was getting all oily and whatever. I could see the guy reaching around with a towel to clean I, off the... I mean, that's, that's all you had. It's like you didn't even have the little wipe where they could automatically do it. But that was exciting in 1979, and that's my whole point. Technology today makes watching it on television big time. Right, let me get quick. Before I even give a takeaway, I'm just going to say a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Justin Tuck. I screwed up. I said he went to Harvard Business School. It was not Harvard. He went to Wharton. So mm-hmm. apologies... To Wharton. That's where Justin Tuck went. 
My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week, and it is the number 27. For me, I hear 27, and the old Islander fan of me says, John Tonelli. And every other Islander fan listening will be like, ah, that was funny. Uh, we did, this is a week we did not discuss it. 27. 27-time World Series champions, New York Yankees? No. No? Okay, then I have no idea. 27th of July. Oh, God. That's when the final, talking about eSports and ESPN and other Disney-owned channels, plan to air the final of the Overwatch League on July 27th. Now, the playoffs are going on right now, so ESPN and other Disney-owned channels are airing the playoffs right now. Well, what, the important part here, Bar, you're saying it's not ESPN+, Plus, it's not OTT, this is the mothership. This e- is eSports on the mothership. eSports final on the mothership. There, there, there you go. That's the big deal here. Now, the yeah. other ones, Disney, XD Channel, is that they will, they'll air it, but other than that, yes. This is, that's big news. Man. Getting big. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. Big Barr, and I'm Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes. 